Hi folks, welcome back to GLS TV a History of Rangers series with our historian and good friend of the show, David Held. Uh, we've talked about absolutely loads of subjects. You've probably heard them all on our Spotify channel. If you haven't, please do. Uh, as 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 before, just simply search uh, the GLS TV on Spotify and you'll get all the episodes we've recorded all the way from uh, our glory strikers to uh, Walter Tull. So absolutely fantastic episodes and please feel free to share them with your friends and give us some feedback. So what I'm going to do is just introduce you again to our good friend David Held and you can tell us about what you do, David, and what tonight's episode is going to be about. Yeah, hi Gordon, hi again. Um, good to be back. Um, yeah, well, I'll go about myself first. I'm going to do a little plug first because uh, as you, you see, I've, I'm a bit of a Rangers historian buff. Um my latest book actually is comes out in the first of October, Kings of the League Cup. So if, uh, if anyone sees that on Amazon or in, in, online or in any bookshops, um, if you're interested in that, it'd be great. Um, so tonight I was going to talk about uh, the Iron Curtain, which uh, is maybe an expression that a lot of Rangers fans have have heard. Um, I don't know if they know how much they really know about it, but that was the great Rangers defence of the post-war years after World War II. Um, I just wanted to, to sort of devote some time to that subject and give people a bit of detail on the on the six players who made up the collective name of the Iron Curtain. Um, I think as, as we get into it, people might agree with me that I, I don't personally think that there's another unit, if you like, of a team that's ever had a record like this anywhere in world football in terms of how long they played for the one club, how long they played together and all the, the competitions that they won. So uh, tonight I'm going to talk about the Iron Curtain. Good. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I've, I've heard the phrase and obviously we've heard the phrase in relation to uh, Soviet Russia. I believe Churchill coined the phrase mm -hmm. after World War II. Uh, however, I've also obviously heard that in regards to Rangers as well, but uh, I've never... Uh, been it never has been explained to me just exactly how formidable it was or how the how they uh, or who gave them the, the nickname etc. So uh, take it away, please, David. Sure. So I'll maybe I'll maybe start, Gordon, by talking about the way um, most teams set themselves up back back in the in the, in those days. Um, I think I've kind of briefly mentioned it in other in other programs, but but in effect, teams played a a two three five formation back then. Uh, so they they had two fullbacks, three three halfbacks if you like, so a right a right half, a centre half, and a left half, and then five forwards, two wingers, two inside forwards, and a centre forward. So if you like, it was most games were five defenders against five attackers. If, if you like, um, the Iron Curtain was the the Rangers defensive unit, which was made up of the goalkeeper and the two fullbacks and, and the centre half and the two halfbacks. So. Um, I'm sure it, if there's anyone old enough that can they can rhyme off that and cut them. My, my old dad was, was was able to do it as soon as you mentioned the, the expression to him. Brown, Young and Shaw, McCall, Woodburn and Cox. So that was that was the six names that started the, the Rangers team for many years uh, after the after World War Two ended. And as I said, they got this they got this nickname. Um so what I'll do first of all is I'll just go through the sort of Rangers careers of the six players, then I'll talk a little bit about what they did uh, together in, the, in those sort of post-war years. Um, so, if 
every every great defence has usually got a great goalkeeper behind it. Um, I've 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 actually have mentioned Bobby Brown in a previous uh, recording about um we we talked about great Rangers goalkeepers. Uh, Bobby Brown was the goalkeeper behind the Iron Curtain. He took over from the great Jerry Dawson. Um, he started off his uh, football career at Queen's Park as an amateur, just as World War II was breaking out. Uh, he actually first played for Queen's Park when he was still at school. He made, a, he made his debut for the match against Celtic. And he played over 100 times for Queen's Park. Um, and he also became a Scotland international goalkeeper while, while with them. And he's actually the last amateur player to play for Scotland because he was the last Queen's Park player to play for Scotland. Um, during the war, he actually served with the fleet air arm of the Royal Navy. He, he joined up as a PE instructor and he, he was served, He was stationed down south for quite a while. Um, and he actually made some guest appearances for quite a few English teams, probably the most notable of which was Chelsea. Um, so during the war, he won five international caps, as I said, played for Scotland. And then when the, when the war ended, um, he was offered terms to turn professional by both Rangers and Manchester United. Um, but he was in no doubt which team he wanted to play for. So Bobby Brown joined joined Rangers. Uh, but he joined Rangers as a part-time player because um, he, he actually had another job. By this time, he was a teacher. And he made his debut in... May 1946, in a competition called the Victory Cup, which was a sort of one-off competition to to celebrate the the winning of World War Two. Uh, and that game against it was against Airdrie, uh, which Rangers yeah. won four 0 It was it was a kind of it was a beginning of a end of an era actually because at one end of the park you had Bobby Brown making his debut, and at the other end of the park you had the great Jimmy Smith, the great. Goal scorer for Rangers. He, that was actually his last ever game for the club. And needless to say, he scored. Um, so Bobby Brown made his debut in the Victory Cup, and he then made his league debut when football started after the war. Um, so August nineteen forty six uh, against Motherwell. And believe it or not, he then didn't miss a league game until April nineteen fifty two. So, so that was six seasons he didn't miss a single league game. That's an incredible and, record. He actually made 179 successive league starts, which, which I, th- I think is almost beyond belief these days. Um, he played in every league, league cup, and Scottish cup match for five seasons. Um, be, I actually think probably in the in the post war years, I don't think anybody knew who the Rangers reserve goalkeeper was. Because <laughs> you never saw. Um, even when you see the pictures of the team that's still with Bobby Brown there. Whoever these reserve was must have been incredibly patient because I don't think he played very much. Um, so, as I say, Bobby Brown played for those those seasons, hardly missed a game. Um, he actually stayed with Rangers until 1956, although he, he kind of lost his place a few seasons before that. Um, he actually lost his place because he, he wouldn't go full-time. And Bill Struth had a, a goalkeeper, George Niven, that he was, he was very keen on. And George Niven was full time, so he decided to give George Niven his, his chance in the the start of November nineteen fifty two. So Bobby Brown, he won three league titles, he won three Scottish Cups, he won two league cups, and he was an ever present in the first treble season. His total number of appearances for Rangers was, three, if you include all matches, including things like the Glasgow Cup, Charity Cup, the Victory Cup, that kind of thing. If you include everything, 
He made 327 appearances for Rangers. An absolute Rangers legend. Sounds like it, for sure. Yeah. And in front of him, uh, I'll just go through it in, in the, uh, the order that the team was... The, if there's a Tannoy announcement of the team, then they would start with Bobby Brown. The next one would be the right-back. And the right-back in the Iron Curtain team was the great George Young. Uh, George Young actually signed from junior football. He came from Kirk and Tillich, Rob Roy, when he was still a teenager. Uh, Right to the early 1940s. Um, and he played for quite a bit of the, during the, the war years. He played a lot of games for Rangers during during World War II. And if I include them, when I talk about his appearances later on, I'll include those in his appearance total. George Young was a natural centre-half. He, he was a giant of a man. He was, especially back then, he, he, this is big for the, the type for that time. He was almost six foot three tall. He weighed 15 stone. He was he was he was a massive man, uh, and he was he physically dominated his his opponents. He was great in the air, hard in the tackle, but he was also known for uh, an ability to play really accurate long passes and turn defence into attack. He was a regular on the Rangers team for sixteen seasons. He didn't he played for Rangers all the way through to nineteen fifty seven, um, and he became the captain in the nineteen fifties. Um, he wasn't the captain during this, the the Iron Curtain era, if you like. That was Jock Shaw, who we'll get to shortly. Uh, George Young had the nickname Corky. You probably hear of Corky Young. Uh, how did he get that nickname? Because he had this lucky champagne cork that he carried about in his pocket all the time. I'm not quite sure where it first came from, but um, the Rangers won something in early in his career and he kept the champagne cork from the, the celebrations. And he could know nice. Corky after that. Yeah. I talked about Bobby Brown hardly missing any games. Um, if I talk about the Iron Curtain era, then between 1948 and 1953, George Young only missed five league games. So again, you're talking about guys that played almost every game. Not just a giant for Rangers, he was a giant for Scotland. He played 53 times for Scotland, which actually was was a record that stood for quite a, quite a length of time. Um, it was actually 1974 before it was broken when Dennis Law played his 54th game for, for Scotland. Um, and George Young was the captain of Scotland 48 times of those 53 games. He, he basically led Scotland out almost every time he played for them. And again, that was another record that stood for many, many years. Um, one of the greatest Rangers players of all time, certainly wow. one of the greatest Rangers of his generation. Um, he won lots of trophies during the war, as I said, but if I just Concentrate on post-war um, wins. He won six league titles, four Scottish Cups, two League Cups, um, one treble. He, he actually also, also scored quite a few goals for Rangers for a defender back then because he was the penalty taker before Johnny Hubbard. Remember, we, I think we talked in the past about Johnny Hubbard being the great penalty yeah, taker exactly, of, the 19, yeah. of the 1950s. Well, George Young was the Rangers penalty taker in the 1940s before Johnny Hubbard took over from him. And he scored over 60 penalties for Rangers, including two in the Scottish Cup final in 1949, when the treble, the treble season, that was against Clyde. And he also scored two penalties in a very famous game in 1943, when Rangers beat Celtic 8-1 the New Year, which is the record competitive win uh, in the fixture against them. A, a Rangers giant. Uh, he retired in 1957, just after winning his sixth league 
title at the age of 34. His last game was a, a charity cup tie at Ibrox against Clyde. Um, after he finished playing, actually, like Bobby Brown, he became a manager. Bobby Brown was a manager of St. Johnson in Scotland. Uh, George Young became the manager of Thurlanock before he, he left football and ran a hotel. Um, so the great George Young was at right back, although he sometimes played centre-half as well in his Rangers career. Um, at left back was the captain of the Iron Curtain team, the great Jock Shaw, yeah. Tiger Shaw. Another player who was signed from junior football, he was signed from Ben Burb. Uh, although he didn't join from junior football, he actually joined from Airdrie. He spent five years at Airdrie, actually, uh, in the 1930s. And when Rangers signed him in 1938, he was already 25 years old by then. The fee was a massive £2,000. I mean, when I talk about what we got out of that, that must be one of the best £2,000 Rangers ever spent. Um, he made his debut at the start of the season, 1938-39, which was a season that um, Rangers started off um, not as champions, which is unusual in the 30s. Celtic were the, the champions in 1938. He was an almost ever present in his first season. Rangers won the league back by 11 points. Um, then the the war came along. Um, the previous captains of the club had been Jimmy Simpson and George Brown. Uh, they both retired and just after the war started and Jock Shaw was appointed as the club captain in 1940. And he stayed as the club captain for the rest of his Rangers career. Um, his nickname was Tiger <laughs> for good reason because he, his tackling was regarded as pretty fierce. Um, totally committed Um a, a man that would basically run through brick walls for Rangers. Um, yeah. Won lots and lots of trophies during the war again, as I said. In fact, he played over 200 times for Rangers during World War II. He hardly missed a game. Won lots and lots of trophies during that time. Uh, as I say, after the war, if I talk about that, um, he oh, he won lots and lots of trophies. And he, won, he, was, he was the first captain to win the League Cup. He was the first captain to win a treble. And overall, he won four league titles, three Scottish Cups and two league cups um, if you add the wartime appearances to the the official appearances he actually played for Rangers 577 times which puts him right up there in the uh, top 20 of all time Rangers appearance makers um, also played for Scotland uh, he actually had held a bit of an unusual record actually with Scotland um, his brother played for the great Hibs team of the time also as a left back David Shaw. So because they they played in the same position, they didn't usually play for Scotland together, but they actually did play against England one time together, one at right back and one at left back. And it was very unusual brothers playing for Scotland. And in fact, when that happened in 1946, it didn't happen again until 2005, brothers playing for Scotland. And I'll test you here, Gordon, who were the brothers that played for Scotland in 2005? 2005? Because that's your era, isn't it? Yes, I, and do you know what? I, I do know the answers to this. However, uh, so the tip of my tongue. I'll, I'll put you out your misery. It was, no, no, it was... no, just give me, a, give me a, if you can think of a very, very small clue, give me the first name of one of them. What, well, what, one one of them was a defender that played for Celtic at the time. Oh, they're not. No, that, that'll put you off, won't it? Uh, it was, no, no, uh, no. And, and who, 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 who do the other? other one played, I think the other one played for Newcastle, I think. They were both defenders. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Uh, and they had big heads. Uh, 
God Almighty. Yeah, I know exactly who it is now. Eh, but I, I, I it was Gary Caldwell and his brother. Caldwell, Caldwell. Caldwell. Oh my God! Yes, it was at the top. I, I, I knew, I knew who it was, and then when you gave me that clue, like I knew he's like I could, I, do you know what? I could actually picture them in my head as well. I so Jock and David Shaw played played for Scotland together as brothers, which was a really unusual thing. Um, so Jock Shaw captained Scotland twice against England. Um, as I say, he won lots and lots of trophies. He was actually he actually continued playing for Rangers until 1953, but he didn't actually play very much after about 1950, into 1950, early 51. Um, he was he was 40 by the time he, he hung up his boots. And I, probably one of his famous quotes, actually, been from Jock Shaw, when he, when he finally left Rangers in 1953, at the age of 40, he, he actually got offers from another couple of top division teams to keep playing, such was his level of fitness. And his quote was, although I feel I could play for some seasons, I want to end my days as a Rangers player. The 16 years I spent with them were the happiest days of my life. In fact, they were my life. I could never play for anyone else. Oh, that was Jock Shaw. And um, unsurprisingly, the club wanted him around after that. He, he, he then served the club as a, a reserve trainer and then a groundsman until he, until he retired later on in life. And absolutely, our Rangers great. Our Rangers great. So that's the two full-backs. Uh, we then go to the right half. Probably one of the, I don't know if there's such a thing as lesser-known players in the Iron Curtain team, but Brown, Young and Shaw are probably better-known, I would say, these days than than the guy that was right half who was Ian McCall. So Ian McCall signed from Queen's Park again, just like, like Bobby Brown, he signed from Queen's Park. Uh, and just at the end of the war in, in June 1945 made his debut a couple of months later when the, that season started which was the last of the wartime seasons 45-46 yeah. he was a very clever man Ian McCall he, was, he studied engineering and got a degree at Glasgow University and he he was a very intelligent footballer as well uh, I'll talk about how these most of these other players were all hard tackling tough physical strong players. Ian McCall was, don't get me wrong, could look after himself, but he was also a very intelligent player. As a wing half, he was he was known for how his, how calm he was under pressure, um, his ability to read the game. So he was a slightly different kind of player from from the ones I've talked about so far. But but something that he had in common with him was that he hardly missed any games in the sort of post-war period. And if I talk about him, between the summer of 1947 and the summer of 1953, he only missed eight games, and five of them were in the one season in 1951. So again, post-war, this this defence that Bill Struth had put together, they played together almost every week. Ian McCall um, was a Scotland regular, played 14 times for Scotland, um, and he actually won more league titles than any of the rest of them because he, he stayed at Rangers till 1960. Um, and in fact... He came back into the team in 1960 and played in the 1960 Scottish Cup final win against Kilmarnock as a 33-year-old after playing very irregularly for the two seasons before that. Um, he won seven league titles, five Scottish Cups, two league cups. And if you add up all his appearances, including wartime games, he played 591 times for Rangers. So you can wow. see the numbers are, are adding up here, aren't they? Um, and, and am, I, am I correct to say in those days there were still no subs? 
No, there's no subs. No, definitely not. Um, no, every 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 appearance is a starting appearance. Um, probably the most unusual thing about Ian McCall's career came at the end of it. Um, when he retired in 1960 as a Rangers player, he was then immediately appointed as the manager of Scotland. So right. he went straight from the Rangers dressing room to being the manager of the national team, which I don't think you'll ever see something like that again, especially not for Rangers. Mm. Um, and he, after he left um, the Scotland manager's role, one of the, his other jobs in football, he became the Sunderland manager. I mean, he was actually the Sunderland manager that, that bought Jim Baxter from Rangers in 1965. So Ian McCall, uh, probably the the... Maybe the most underrated of the Iron Curtain, if you if you look through the the, the, the sort of reputations they've all got, but the but the one that actually had the most medals, uh, centre half. So centre half um, is is a man who, uh, if my dad was still alive, he would confirm that he was his football. Apart from Jim Baxter, who was who said he was the greatest footballer he ever saw, but the guy who said he was the greatest ranger he ever saw was the centre half of that Iron Curtain team, and that was the great Willie Woodburn. Mm. Uh, now, Willie Woodburn actually sounds he's from local Edinburgh football. Uh, he made his Rangers debut in 1938, and he never played for anyone else. He only ever played for Rangers in his entire career. Um, he was 19 when he made his Rangers debut in 1938, <laughs> and his first old firm game was one that maybe, I don't know if I should mention it, because Rangers lost 6-2, <laughs> and he was just a... a Many a many a teenager might have been scarred by that experience. Um, yeah. And actually, the, at that time, Bill, Bill Struth thought he had to iron out of his game as he actually wanted to play too much football. He was a, he was one of the first ever football playing centre halves. He was regarded as a fantastic footballer as well as a great defender. Um, and in some people's eyes, he's he's the greatest centre half he's ever had. Uh, so he, um, as I say, because he played as early on as that, like Jock Shaw, he won league titles both before and after World War Two. Yeah, he he played before the war, he played during the war, and he played after the war. Um, as I say, a great football, but he was fiercely competitive. He absolutely bought into the whole ethos about the club being more important than the man. He utterly lived and breathed the Rangers Football Club for the, for during his career. Um, so if I talk about the number of appearances he had, um, believe it or not, it comes to exactly 500 when you add all his appearances together in all the different competitions. 500 appearances on the nose, five league titles, four Scottish Cups, two League Cups, 24 caps for Scotland. It's actually an absolute injustice and it's it's almost criminal that the main, re the main thing that he's remembered for is his disciplinary record. Because actually, if you look at it in the cold light of day, <laughs> it's not really that bad. He says he played from 1938 to 1954, 16 years. In the first 14 years of that, he was sent off once. But in the last three seasons, he was sent off once in each season. And each of those three sendings off was all for the same thing. It was all for retaliation. Um... And when you, you get so, 
you're right. When you put that into context of some modern day footballers, like you know, like your biggest example is probably you know you've got a Fredo Morelos. He's probably got a, a worse record than yeah. that. Oh, uh, and saying that, there's a lot more centres off in modern football than there was back then. Yeah. I mean that you, you you had to commit a bit of a crime to get sent off right, back, okay. back in the late forties, early fifties. Um, so he get banned. Uh, what was called Sindai by the SFA in 1954 after that last retaliation sending off. It came against Stirling Albion. He had just come back into the team and he had he was carrying a knee injury. His leg was strapped up and the Stirling Albion forward uh, committed a rather nasty tackle on his, on his bad knee, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when the players squared up, the Stirling Albion player pushed him and Woodburn's temper just went and unfortunately headbutted the player. Um, sent off, and as I say, then got banned what was called Sindai, which means forever. He was banned forever. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've talked to a few people about this before. It's, it seems incredible that you can, you know, take that step to ban somebody forever. For yeah, I know. What, I know. what in yeah. retrospect is not, you know, it's not a great record, but it's not the worst. Absolutely not. Um, I think... There's a few things to say about that Sendai suspension. Um, one is that if you if you there's other interviews from other great players of the time who all talked about what a terrible injustice it was. Uh, probably the most famous player who, who talked about it was the great English winger Tom Finney, who played against Woodburn in, in Scotland England games on a number mm-hmm. of occasions. Yeah, he 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 used to quote Woodburn as being the best defender he ever played against. Um, he called it one of the worst injustices he'd ever known. Um, I think Woodburn himself expected the, the ban to go lifted. I think Rangers expected the ban to go lifted and so didn't appeal it. And I, that There's definitely a body of opinion who thinks that um, if Scott Simon hadn't been recently appointed the Rangers manager, if the Rangers manager had still been Bill Struth, who had, who had given up the manager's role earlier that year, I, don't th- I think many of us think Struth wouldn't have put up with that. <laughs> I don't think Struth would have accepted that ban. I think he'd have taken it further. Um, apparently Woodburn got legal advice that he, he could have appealed, he could have went to court and won, but he, Rangers didn't want to take the SFA to court. Uh, I think Bill Struth probably would have done, although I don't know if they'd yeah. have done it to Bill Struth. I don't know if they'd have done it to Bill Struth. So anyway, it's it's almost, I almost feel bad about even talking about this for too long because Willie Woodburn was an absolutely fantastic football player. And it's as I say, I think it's criminal that he's, he's remembered for this instead of being remembered for being the best football and centre-half rings I've ever had. Um, I, I, maybe I'm, just, I'm going to give you a wee quote about Willie Woodburn. And it, was, it's not, it wasn't from him this time, it was from his teammate, Willie Waddle. Um, so Willie Waddle's quote was, there is no doubt that in our time, the very act of pulling on that blue jersey over your head did something to you. All that talk of tradition about privilege and the responsibility that went with being a Rangers player definitely had its effect. And then Wally Woodburn had more effect than any of us. Woodburn absolutely breathed Rangers. He, he took it as an affront if somebody scored against him. He used to actually talk it before every game. If they want to score against Rangers, they want to get through me first. Hmm. He, he, was, he just lived and breathed Rangers. Um, and he should be remembered as being that great Rangers defender and that great Rangers player, not being the man that get banned and die. Last thing I'll talk about him is his, his nickname. His nickname was Ben, or Big Ben sometimes he was known as. Um, there's, there's actually some 
websites talk about he's named after that because of the Big Ben clock, which actually isn't right. He's, he's named Ben because Rangers went to Portugal to play Benfica in 1948, beat them 3-0. And there was a reception after the game in which the alcohol flowed freely. And Mr. Woodburn had quite a few glasses of wine. And then for the rest of the night, he apparently he stood up countless occasions to toast Viva Benfica. Viva Benfica. He just kept doing it all night. And this, this bet, and as the night went on, it became Ben Fika. And eventually, the, the, the players started telling Ben to sit down. And that's how he, he got the name. So it wasn't actually through Big Ben the clock at all. So that was really Willie Woodburn. Uh, the last player I want to talk about is the left, left half, who was Sammy Cox. Uh, Sammy Cox, as I say, was the left half. He actually could play left back as well. He was from Darville in Ayrshire, although he was signed from Dundee in 1946. And he actually made his debut in the same game as Bobby Brown did, that Airdrie game that Jimmy Smith played his last game in the Victory Cup. Um, Sammy Cox was only five foot eight, but he was what he was known for being able to physically dominate much bigger players. He was very strong, very sharp yeah. tackler, um, quite a physical player. And again, he, he, he hardly missed a game. He only missed one game between the summer of 47 and the summer of 1950. So these, these guys, no wonder they had such a telepathic un understanding between each other because they played with each other so much. So Sammy Cox has got one, I suppose, claim to fame on that. He, uh, he scored the first ever goal for Rangers in the League Cup yep. uh, against St. in 1946. Um, he was again a Scotland international. He capped 25 times with Scotland, both as a left back and a left half, and he captained his country against England, just like George Shaw did, just like George Young did. Um, and he played to Rangers right through to 1955. And after he left Rangers, actually, he briefly played for East Fife and then he emigrated to Canada. Uh, there used to be a banner sometimes you would see at Ibrox, it was a Canadian banner and it had a picture of Sammy Cox on it. So he played 349 times for Rangers, four league titles, three Scottish Cups, one League Cup. Um, so that those six players made up the Iron Curtain. Uh, all six of them are in the Hall of Fame. Now, I gave you all those numbers earlier on of appearances. See if you add them all together, those six players, their number of appearances for Rangers comes to 3,020. Yeah, I was trying to do it in my head. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't take notes. I, I, That's just I, an I ran outrageous number. I know, I ran out of figures and toes. Yeah, I know. So 3,020 games for Rangers. And I would say their peak years was, was the four seasons after World War II. Um, and if you look at those four seasons, that was the, when the League Cup started. So there was three trophies to win, three major trophies to win in each season. So those yeah. four seasons, that comes to, what, 12 trophies? Um, so in season one, they won the League in the League Cup. In season two, they won the Scottish Cup. And they finished second to Hibs in the League. Season three, they won the treble. In season four, they won the league in the Scottish Cup. Um, so they won eight trophies out of 12 at a time that Scottish football had some fantastic teams. Most noticeably that, the Hibs team, the great famous five team, who uh, won one league title in that time um, and finished runners-up to Rangers twice. Um, and if you look at those four seasons, 
Um, the main reason why Rangers finished just in front of Hibs three times out of four was that Rangers conceded far less goals than Hibs did. In fact, Rangers conceded over 40 less goals than Hibs did over those four seasons in the league alone, never mind the Cups. Rangers won the league, the, the Scottish Cup three seasons in a row during it. And in those first two seasons, they conceded only one Scottish Cup goal the first time and only two Scottish Cup goals the second time. And in all four seasons, they averaged less than a goal a game in each of those four seasons. And this is at a time, remember, that teams played with five forwards. They were, a, they were just a, a unit that you'll never see again. And uh, the goalkeeper had no gloves. Is that correct as well? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, as I said, they were up against teams that had two wingers, centre forwards, inside forwards, five forwards attacking them every week. And yet, over four full seasons, they conceded less than a goal a game every season and won eight trophies out of 12. They, they were... They basically were the, were the rock that Bill Struth built the post-war Rangers on that, that, that dominated Scottish football. Um, they say they're all in the Hall of Fame. Um, each one of them not just played so many times for Rangers, not just won so many trophies for Rangers. Every single one of them also were a tremendous credit to the club on and off the pitch as players and lived and breathed Rangers after they stopped playing as well. Yeah. So see, see, you talk about Sons of Struth. Diane Cutton were the actual definition of Sons of Struth. Proud Rangers men, all of them, for the rest of their days. We'll never see the like again. And that Gordon was the Iron Curtain. Ah, it's uh, just what, what strikes me from what you said, David, is first of all, the amount of uh, appearances they've all made, uh, especially when I'm correct if I'm wrong, when a time where you know, Europe, there wasn't as many European games. Uh, well, there wasn't. Europe, and, the European Cup didn't start till 1955, yeah. so... And, you know, um, there wasn't an opportunity to play, you know, obviously this, this we, we play each other four times a season now, we play League Cup, Scottish Cup, European games, group games in Europe, uh, so on and so forth. So, for them, you know, I think you said over 3,000 between them is phenomenal, and the trophies they've won as well is, you know, yep. it's, it's incredible, and... What what really got what tugged at my heart, my heart friends, if you like as well, David, was the the quotes for the players as well. Absolutely. So, um, I th- I think it's fair to say all Sam, Sammy Cox went to Canada, so he's he's probably the exception. But the other the other five were all regulars at Ibrox as spectators. <laughs> you know, yeah. after they finished playing, um, probably the. The, the 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 big surprise when I when I look at all that that era of the time and then we look at the the length of service that George yeah. Ian McCall Willie Woodburn George so the, the, the just the length of service that these guys gave Rangers they're probably talking not one of them got a testimonial yeah it's crazy when you, when you, when you think about that these days um Rangers gave David Nicol John a testimonial and they didn't give given Rangers give another Rangers put a testimonial to John Gregor one in 1978 um, yeah. Because they weren't on big money back then, so the, te- the testimony, not. The testimony was not. what players relied on and going into retirement because you know we wouldn't get paid a lot, and at least then they were guaranteed, you know, like a, a payday if you like for leaving, which is a thank you from the club, obviously. But well, if you, actually, if you one of the one of the one of the sad things about that Willie Woodburn final sending off against Stirling Albion, I said he knew he was his knee strapped up and he was carrying an injury. Probably he shouldn't have played. 
But back then, if you yeah. didn't play, you you didn't get paid as much. <laughs> you, mm. you, got, you your basic was you did you had a kind of lowish basic wage. Then you get appearance money, and then you get bonus money for winning. So, so the players that weren't playing didn't earn near as much as the players that did. Yeah, sad time. But once again, David Gels TV can't thank you enough. Uh, absolutely cool. fascinating to hear these things. I think you know anyone that listens in will. We'll agree that we you know we, we we hear the terminology. We we've got a rough idea of what happened. We've heard the players' names, but it's great to have a. It's 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 great to have your knowledge today because again, you know, I I get mesmerized by these all these facts and information. So oh, on behalf of Justin E. David, uh, thanks once again for your time. My pleasure. Look forward to the next one. Great. So once again, just to kind of wrap up uh, this episode, you've been listening to Golden Bonds for Just TV with our great friend and historian David Held. Uh, please check out our previous episodes and check back on our Spotify channel regularly for more updates. Okay, and uh, please uh, get in touch with Just TV, and we will see you all soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.